Hello and welcome to the Green Industry Podcast with Paul Jamison. This show is all about helping lawn care and landscape professionals take your business to the next level. Paul is the author of three best-selling books, including Cut That Grass and Make That Cash, and his brand new book, 101 Proven Ways to Increase Efficiency and Make More Money in Lawn Care. Now available on Audible and narrated by Mr. Producer. Here's your host, Paul Jamison. You are in for an absolute treat on today's special program. We have Mike Andes, Sean Spencer, Jason Creel, Naylor Taliaferro back for part two. So on yesterday's program, we had part one. This is a live Q&A session with our friends at Kohler Engines Events. It's the Lawn and Landscape Society event in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. We're answering live studio audience questions. Without further ado, here's Mike Andes from Augusta Lawn Care, Sean from Spencer Lawn Care, Jason Creole from, I think he thinks he's from the Alabama Crimson Tide football team, but hey, (laughs) I got to love it, Marty. All of his analogies are Alabama football. But uh, nevertheless, he's Jason Creole from the Lawn Care Life and Naylor Taliaferro from LCR Media. I'm your moderator. Without further ado, let's answer some questions. I took it last night because let's just be fair. It's an open bar this evening. Um, I know there's this whole discipline thing about not drinking everything, and I encourage you not to. But if you do wish to drink, please take the shuttle bus. Okay? That's my safety safety thing. Um Also, so this afternoon, I think what we're going to do to close out today is just, first of all, see if there are any other questions that you guys are interested in or or knowledge you want to gain. I want to kind of go through the panel and have them um, perhaps just as closing thoughts, give an idea of what you think over the next year or couple of years is happening within the industry, what you see trends coming down the line that uh, along the lines of the whole uh, change in the Googling and those kind of things, what do you see coming down the line uh, going forward? And then um, I was hoping perhaps, too, I know that we talked about electrification versus combustion. And since we as Kohler make combustion engines, um, I just wanted to get some of my Kohler folks to kind of help fill out from the engine perspective what we see is is changing going down the line for folks like this as far as what their equipment is going to look like. Um, I don't know if any of you know we acquired a company called uh, Curtis. Curtis handles a standard electrification of, of products a lot like a... Um, like an electric golf cart, those kind of things. So we'll give our insights as Kohler as to where going forward, we might be going with those kind of things or if hybrid is a solution, all of that. After that, we'll go out and have some drinks and stuff outside under the tent. Um, the shuttle bus will be here about 4, 4.15. If you took that here to take you back to the hotel, leaving you know at about 4.30. Um, and then that's it. And then we just wait for dinner. Okay, sound like a deal? Uh, I do want to make sure, did everybody hand in your, your waivers? Perfect. Just so you know, during this Q&A, as you guys were asking questions, um, I was writing your name down, sticking them in the basket. So once we are finished with this, we're going to do some drawings. I have, obviously we have this, but we do have 300-hour oil kits, and I have some of these lovely uh, sweatshirts to raffle off as well. There's not a bunch of them, but there's, there's enough. Um, as we go through them, I'll give you your size. Once the sizes run out, what I have is what I have. Uh, so with that, then I think I'm just going to turn it over to you guys with uh, closing thoughts just on what you think is going to be happening going forward in the next year or two years uh, within your industry. Jason, we cut for break, and Jason said he had an answer for that previous question. I was telling Mike uh, my thoughts. So I, I used to mow grass and I'll spray weeds, and, and I try to 
not say this too loud, but uh, you make more money spraying weeds than you do mowing grass. And I didn't understand it for years. I'd sit there and watch these people spray grass while I was out there mowing grass. And I, I had no idea they were making more money than, than mowing. So that's just, I don't know if that, I don't know if anybody knows that or not, but just generally speaking, you do. I know it's different for every people. But I, my point was, I was talking with Mike, was that, I think a lot of people, they don't make enough money with their business to be able to hire somebody. And so, you know, for 12 to $15 an hour, you're probably just not going to get a whole lot. But the problem is the business is not profitable enough to justify paying more than that. And so you're left with low quality employees, high turnover, and, and maybe and they making less money. That, that's been my experience. Again, I, I work solo, but I have observed a lot of people and they end up... Uh, have a little small business with two or three employees and end up going back to solo. That was more headache than it was worth. Well, I think that's not necessarily bad hiring. It, it's your business is not that profitable to, to be able to afford a, a quality employee. So Jamie's question was, where do you see the industry going the next year and two? And I want to add to that, like, what's your strategy to earn as much income and profit, uh, you know, personally in the next year or two? What's your strategies? Well, I'm sorry. Naylor's got the route density shirt on, which I, I think is great. And I, to me, I, I tell people, lawn business is, is great, but it's not great enough. You can just drive all over town mowing a random yard here and there. I mean, that just makes zero sense unless you're doing like high-end landscaping kind of jobs. To me, that, that makes a lot of sense to drive over there to do that. But for most people, mowing, spraying, whatever, it's just not profitable. And I... I one time made the argument that I thought efficiency was more important than pricing, and I, I still definitely believe that. You say, well, I'm just going to go up on people $3 or $5, you know. Well, yeah, that, that helps. But if you're inefficient, I would argue that, that you could charge $3 less in a very efficient matter, um, manner, and you probably come out better. Now, I'm not saying don't raise your prices. I, I think that's great. But your efficiency is more important, in my opinion. Because at some point you can only charge what you can charge, and you you know if you just get too crazy with the prices, um, but you can always hopefully be working on your efficiency. And I would think year after year becoming more and more efficient as far as your route density goes. And I was talking to somebody earlier who, who told me that he drives an hour to get to his properties, but when he gets there, he has a three thousand dollar day. So I think there are exceptions. You wouldn't drive an hour to mow four yards, but if you if there's a I use the illustration as fishing. If you know you could drive your fishing boat in an hour and catch a bunch of fish over there, then it might be worth driving over there. You know, so I think there's exceptions to the rule. Um, if you think you can eventually develop a, a good day's work in that area, then it may be worth driving a little further. I'll just say as far as my goals and what I'm focusing on for, for the future for this year, and going forward, every year I try to refine things for my business, you know, like whether it be years ago when I added cards on file for everyone or, you know, raising your prices every every year by a certain percentage, different uh, services and so on. There's always something that I do. And this year it was converting everyone to 12 month billing. And I filtered some people out that shouldn't have been my clients anyway. Like over the last year, few years, I really realized 
who I want to have and who I don't. Like you think sometimes, you know, you have all the right people until things hit the fan. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get emails that you're like shocked that you got this email from this person and they're less understanding or whatever the deal is. Those are people that you just didn't want in the first place. They're not on board. And what I've also realized is any if you're any change that you make is okay with your best client, then it's okay. And if anyone else complains about it, then they just weren't your ideal client. So just let them go find somebody else. So that's what I do every year this year. That was a big one. So I definitely uh, shrunk down, filtered more people out that way. And now we're going to get explode again in, in March and April with more people. But now we have room for the right people. We can be more particular, make sure our, our prices are, are as profitable as they can be. All of our equipment, our setups all dialed in. Crew's getting all filled up and ready to go. Um, I am curious about the whole uh, electric. You know, everything's going electric or going in that direction. So my goal this year is to partner with different brands to see how that can fit with my business and then just share that with everybody else to see how they can maybe incorporate that with theirs. If it does work, doesn't work. Because to Sean's point, it's, it's just going to be a thing eventually. Um, so we might as well get ahead of it now instead of just, you know, just being like, well, whatever, um, if, if we can, if it works out for, for you. So I'm just dabbling around with it and seeing what, what can and can't work and how I can maybe make it work for me. I think personally, just I kind of have a little insight because I do work so closely with a lot of companies. Right now, to me, what I'm seeing is everybody is trying to get as much data as they can. They're trying to collect as much information as they possibly can. And it's only for the future. And, you know, we've, we've dabbled with, you know, AI, uh, GPT, open, whatever it was called, open AI. A lot of that stuff got changed around from what it was originally supposed to be. But whether any of us want to admit it, you know, the future for our industry is going to change. It, it, you know, me as reluctant as I am, you know, I don't want an electric mower. I know it's going to be forced upon us or something else is where, you know, it, it, it's going to happen. And it's only because I've seen things, I've heard things like, you know, behind the scenes where guys like they're thinking 10, 15 years out, like even, I mean, I can't say anything about Kohler, but like, I guarantee you they have stuff in their inventory that they're working on behind the scenes that is going to revolutionize industries, engines, you know, it could be something battery. It could be something, you know, mix, uh, who knows? But they're thinking long term, and that's where this data comes in. So even your mowers in the future, when you buy them, they're going to come with technology on them where it's pretty much mapping like a property. And I know I've had conversations with Mike about this, and it kind of like blew my mind. Like what you're doing is actually creating the data, just like your little Roomba driving around your house. It's mapping out the square footage of your house. Then that gets uploaded to Google and now they have a, an entire imprint of the inside of your house. Well, we're going to be doing the same thing with lawns. And that's going to go on to online, the AI side of it. And then it's just going to get, our community is going to evolve and change a lot. You guys just have to pay attention and make sure you're not as reluctant to that change whenever it starts to happen. So I'm very reluctant against battery, but I'm also not dumb to realize like, you know, it's, it's going to happen. But Things that I've seen, things that I hear are coming, like our industry as a whole should be super excited because believe it or not, the green industry for a long time didn't get a lot of technology, a lot of uh, light shined onto it. But the world we live in now with, you know, 
you know, anybody can say whatever they want, you know, people that are super green over here or tree huggers, whatever you want to call them. This all shines a light onto our industry that makes us better as an industry. So the future is bright for the green industry, but just know as well, like there's going to be changes and it might be a change that maybe you don't foresee as, you know, like Jason says, you know, you know, he's more profitable with spraying a lawn. You can't put a value on how happy I am to stripe a lawn. You know what I'm saying? Like, is, is spraying lawns as exciting as mowing the lawn? <laughs> I, I think maybe Jason's been inhaling a few Too of those chemicals. chemicals. <laughs> I, I would mow the yard and spray the same yard, and I was charging more to spray it. It took six minutes, and then I'd mow it. I'd mow it for and spray whatever. And the mowing, it'd take me an hour out there. I thought, what, what am I going to do, spray this in six minutes or mow it for an hour? I mean, it was just it was a no-brainer. But I, I think y'all, y'all should ride lawnmowers until you die. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's just kind of where I'm at personally wise. Uh, you know, the future looks exciting. And like I've already shared, you know, thank you all for coming and participating. And, you know, I look forward to tomorrow where you guys can all get on equipment and have some fun outside. The question was, how much did it cost to transfer a lawn maintenance setup into a fertilization and weed control business? I mean, you you got to basically have a spray rig. My spray rig costs like 12000 bucks. You can get one cheaper. But, you know, I've had mine maybe eight years. It's a little Honda engine with a big fiberglass tank and a pump. I mean, virtually nothing has went wrong with it except the electric button that winds the reel in eight years. So I, I, I just tell people, I say, you're not going to find a lawnmower that's going to outproduce ROI than that sprayer. I mean, I not even close. And the less maintenance you do, I don't... I, it'll start bogging down a little bit, and I'll, I'll look at the air filter on the Honda engine. I was like, I ain't changed that thing about two years. You know, it'd be all clogged up. But I mean, there's virtually nothing to go wrong. It's a big fiberglass tank and a Honda engine. So, I mean, it's. I bought a twelve thousand uh, dollar spray rig. You get a push spreader if you need to. Now, if you get in ride on equipment, and all that, but it's still cheaper than than lawnmowers you know people i think mowing people they they freak out yeah twelve thousand dollars for a spray tank they turn around buying twelve thousand dollar lawnmowers every three years because theirs is broke and you know anyway it it lasts forever it makes a lot of money and i mean all you do is just if it starts wearing you just change hoses and, and stuff like that but there's there's just not much to go wrong with it how Uh, they, I mean, they, you know, those get a little pricey. I was, I was just talking with somebody. Those are those are expensive. Those are more expensive than lawnmowers. What's that now? No, I have right on spreader spray. I'm saying, yeah, I mean, those are nice. Yeah, you don't have to have one of those. But, yeah, oh, I got a, right now I got like the old Ground Logic, which is now owned by Ferris. It's a, you know, I do a lot of small properties. But, yeah, if you, you're on the new Z spray. What I w- I was showed a quote the other day, twenty four thousand bucks. But again, these which is is a lot. But the people that are riding them around, the amount of uh, money you make with that thing and and saving your legs. So, yeah, they they produce a lot of income. So Jason in Alabama, because I, I'm speaking from perspective from an Ohioan, our herbicide pesticide licensing is strict. I mean, super strict, not cheap. How how is it reluctant in Alabama or is it the same? Yeah, it's state to state. So actually, Mississippi, from what I've been told, is one of the more challenging 
to get licensed in. Uh, you have to have, and in Florida, both, it's like three years uh, education or a certain amount of time. Um, somebody was talking about it at lunch, certain amount of experience under opera, years invested to get your license in Mississippi or Florida. What I've been told, though, is because of that, there's even less competition, and that's a you know good thing. This is not a spraying conference. I'm just, you know he just asked me a question, but uh, but you know there's less competition, so it's easier to get customers and things like. That. And in those states, it's even more difficult to get licensed, but it's, it's this whole barrier to entry. Once you get across the barrier, the barrier is a good thing. So. Um, Alabama, you know, we kind of, we have rules in Alabama that you, you take a test and you have to pass it and, and you have, anyway, it's a little, a little bit less, uh, but I mean, the regulations are a good thing. I'm not anti-regulation. We do continuing education classes where where every year you have to get a certain amount of points. I think a lot of that is going to be similar across the board. So, I mean, you know sometimes the chemical stuff gets you a little bit of bad rap because oh, you're putting chemicals. I understand all that. We're, we are doing training and there's restricted use pesticides and that. But the truth is most of the stuff we're using, anybody can order on Amazon with a few exceptions of products we use. People think they've got this license to buy this product. Anybody can go buy the product. It's just we're trained to know how to not be an idiot with it. So most of the time, if you end up on the news because you killed all the bees and the, the crepe myrtles or whatever, it's somebody that's a homeowner that doesn't know what they're doing. So It, it can be a co-worker. Um, sometimes it's going to be hard if they're in a big company to ever even get to the owner. So they may have never even met the owner. So you want their manager or even a co-worker is fine. Uh, the tricky part that I have found is when people um, are... They live together, and she has a different name than him, and she and his best friend and all of them are people they put down for references. So you have to be a little bit smart to, to weed through some of that, how they answer the questions when you call the references. And then I have a list about five questions that I call them, and when I'm interviewing, I al- always ask them, when I call so-and-so, what are they going to say about you? And that's always very telling. So if they're their significant other their answer is going to be a little different than if it was a coworker. It's just going to come out different and you're going to know. So those three references, non-significant other, non-family. Are you ready to grow your lawn care and landscaping business at Lightspeed? Hey, I'm Cody Owen with Lightspeed Social Agency, and you have heard me talk shop right here on the Green Industry Podcast and every other lawn care podcast you listen to. I hope that you have taken advantage of the expert knowledge I've given in those interviews, but I want you to experience the power of putting Lightspeed behind your business this spring. Sign up for Facebook and Instagram ads management and put my team's years of experience to work in your business. Say goodbye to disorganized and inefficient business management. Upgrade to Jobber, the field service management software. Streamline every aspect of your business from quoting to invoicing. Impress your customers and increase your productivity. Start your journey to success with Jobber now at getjobber.com forward slash Paul. Again, that's getjobber.com forward slash Paul.
Do you spend too much time worrying about the safety and security of your vehicles and machines? Are you tired of the hassle of building schedules and routes for your crews? Well, GPS TrackIt is here to help. They understand that keeping your assets safe and managing your crews efficiently are crucial tasks, but they don't have to be your job. Let GPS TrackIt take some of the mental load off with their cutting-edge tools, including real-time asset tracking, optimized routing, efficiency reports, and more. With GPS TrackIt, you can focus on your real job, building your business. So why wait? Visit gpstrackit.com slash Paul to get started and experience peace of mind like never before. Yeah, no, so 100%, yes, you ideally should do that. Um, I think for the vast majority of people, they just need to do their close ratio overall. Um, but yeah, like in Copilot, we're going to split those two out. Um, cause projects, some people do way better job because they have in person and then, uh, they do a lousy job on the mowing side, for example. But, uh, if you just track it, I'm thrilled. Yeah. Anybody else? Jeremiah, you really want this thing, don't you? you- <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, sir. The, the question was, how do you get commercial accounts? How do you get more commercial accounts? So what's worked for me is, believe it or not, just walking into a facility. So I look for facilities in my area that, personally, I think are not being taken care of properly. You know, if I'm driving by, I'm mowing one, and next door to it, it's not looking as great. They're not picking up the trash. They're mowing it that's immediate opportunity for us to, to be able to go in there. So uh, don't take no, you know, as no forever. It could just be no right now and document everything. Go in, man, just go in, talk to the girl at the front desk. Hey, can I give you a free estimate? No, we're not taking estimates right now. Okay. When are you accepting estimates? Uh, probably next, you know, September. Okay. Come back outside, write down the business name. Need to come back in September next year. Come right back in. She might be there. She might not. But you'll get a lot of no's, but it just takes a few yeses. Uh, Commercial properties are very finicky as well because there's a lot of eyes. So they're not always as profitable, but they can be if you target the right ones. But what's worked for me, though, is just being, I, I don't take no for an answer. I'll keep coming back, and I'll keep coming back. And they can tell me no 50 times, but I'm still going to keep coming back. So you almost, you want to be somewhat annoying, but not overly annoying. Before we get into Mr. Jeremiah Jennings, very, sounds like another debating question. Um, I just wanted to piggyback of what Jason was saying about the spring, since he was throwing us under the bus as mowers. I'm going to retaliate just a little bit. So um, I think, like like he had said previously, though, it does come down to what you want from the business, right? So the reason we don't do any spring is because I never want to think about pesticides, chemicals, training guys, uh, the barrier of entry for, for training them, having three years of experience, all that. Like, if we're in Washington State. You talk about tree huggers. These people are basically married to trees, and I'm not joking. Um, and so... Uh, I don't want to ever deal with that. Like I can't just like spin up four locations like we just did in the past couple weeks in North Carolina. If I'm worrying about, okay, are these guys trained correctly? Do they have the pesticide licenses? Um, and do they have enough credits and all this other stuff? Right? So I think when you're talking about scaling up and having where you're never in operations, simplified services without all those barriers of training is, is definitely, uh, 
I would compare uh, it to like a steakhouse. You're gonna make way better margin than on the steak at a steakhouse than what you're gonna make in a McRib at McDonald's. However, at, Mc, at the McRib at McDonald's, they can get a 15 year old to come in the back and flip the burgers and put it all together. Whereas you're gonna need a lot more training experience to have like a chef school and all the rest of it if you're gonna create a, a steakhouse. So it's not right or wrong. It's like, what do you want for the business? And for me, I'm trying to create the McDonald's model, right? It's like, I want things to scale and it will work without me, take entry level employees and make them very profitable. And so I'm going to take an entry-level service like mowing. Not looking over there. Mike, Mike just said that we control people are steaks and mowers are McRib sandwiches. I just want to point out, I just want to point out, there's no steakhouse in the United States that's worth more than a billion dollars. And here we are, McDonald's, the McRibs, hundreds of billions of dollars. Boom. Oh and, and Jason did just tell me he's never personally striped a lawn, so he doesn't know what it's like. Yeah, yep. You know, you can't judge. You know, judge us until you do it. Stripe the house. <laughs> Jeremiah, you got one. Go ahead. Uh, the short answer would be no. There's a lot of factors in terms of what size of business are you at? What, like, what are you trying to scale into? Are you trying to scale one location? Are you trying to get out of the daily operations? There's a whole bunch of other questions. But in, in general, I would say no. What I would focus on in that scenario is um, creating a marketing engine that can create the leads to come in and then have a, make sure that you're, uh, like, a custom, from a customer service standpoint, like phone calls, office side is so strong that like, your attrition is also capped. Right, so because the only two numbers you have to worry about right there is if your close ratio is basically keeping you around even. The only thing that's keeping you from growing is your attrition, customers leaving. So if you can cap that better, having better automation, software, people answering the phone, etc., and then you start pouring more on the top end and have a great, better website, a better marketing engine, that's when you can scale up and turn the engine of growth back on without lowering your price. That strategy, though, is very common. Believe it or not, the storage facility industry is saturated by that method. So we'll get calls all the time, you know, from a competitor's uh, customer that says, hey, X, Y, and Z down the road, they're $65, you're charging $95. But they don't read into the contract that states, hey, first month's $65, next month it goes to $120. So it's just getting them to bite right off the rip, and then they kind of just naturally raise the prices on them. It's, it's done throughout many industries. So it, it's not saying it's bad, it, but it, you got to figure out which motto you want to have for your company and how you're going to scale it. Yeah. And the thing that's the, to be in the service industry, to be careful, what you got to be careful of with lowering prices to gain market share is we have a, we have a product that we sell. that has a very high variable cost, which is labor, right? It's not like um, real estate or like, well, I have a gym, right? So I could theoretically, if I want to fill a gym, I could do it in like two or three days by just saying, okay, everyone that gets in for the first six months, it's 20 bucks a month. Cause we are typically 60 bucks a month. We're a premium gym. And so I just say that I'd immediately fill it up. I don't, it's okay. Cause I have fixed costs only. I don't have any labor. It's just a, a rental of a box. Right. And so I can do that. I can do price discounting very, very hard. And so that's like software, for example, you always see like get in, you get really low discount and they up you up like massively. Same thing with cable. The cost of cable is not you getting a box and putting up a Wi-Fi in your house. It's them trenching out and putting lines down the street. That's all fixed cost. So they just need to get you in the door. And then once they got you, they got you. And so you got to be careful with that, trying to apply that same strategy in the service industry because the vast majority of our cost is labor and variable expenses like fuel, cost of goods sold, et cetera. Yeah, and property managers. So the property manager is typically the one that actually will dictate a commercial contract. So get really friendly with your, your project uh, property managers because they might manage 50 or 60 properties. 
And if you get in with one of them, they won't even go get other bids because they're not incentivized based upon getting the lowest price. They're incentivized in taking care of the property. And so if you help them do their job by like letting them know when a, when a, a tenant isn't doing something or like the trash is overflowing, if you start doing that for them, they'll just give you the, every single job without getting the other bids. The, the question was how to price leaf uh, cleanups compared to lawn mowing. I'd go on an hourly rate for most. Now, we do multiple different ways of leaf cleanups. If it's just a curbside pickup, it's going to be a flat rate for so many square feet, basically. So the customer, will, they'll snap me a picture, send it to me. I can look at it just by kind of judging next to a car or whatever. I kind of know the size of it, and I can shoot them out of price, 150 200 whatever. We're going to be there a matter of 10 minutes or less anyways, and then moving on. So it's really figuring out how you're going to do the leaf cleanups, what your overhead's going to have, because... Like my, my leaf box that we just sold off, I mean, that was a $30,000 investment. So it's a lot more overhead compared to somebody that's going to take a tarp, rake them onto the tarp, and then drag them into the woods, if you know what I'm saying. But every leaf job's different. Price it by the hour or, you know, charge them at least a dollar a leaf, you know, you'll, you'll come out ahead. Yeah, so we have, a, we have a limit on our square footage that if it hits a certain level, we'll basically have to send a, uh, an estimator out there. Um, and it, all of our locations have a different, whatever that range is. Cause for some people, the average lot size is 20, 30,000 square feet. We don't mow anything that large, like in our area. Um, that's why we use 21 inch push mowers, right? So, um, there's definitely a cap to where, uh, we would then send an estimator out, but we have properties that pay $1,600 for us to come out to their large property and use a 21 inch mower. Right. So, um, that, ha- that has happened. Um, what was the first part again? Sorry. Oh, charging for estimates. Yeah, we, we, we have what we call an e-fee. We don't charge it to them prior to coming. We would only do that if we're trying to limit the leads. Like if you're just overwhelmed with work, great strategy is we charge 50 bucks. That has to go through on, on your card. And then once you've done that, we'll come out and visit the property. And if the estimate is accepted, we'll put that $50 toward the bid. Um, that's a great way to keep yourself from being so busy during spring rush. That's a great strategy. Um, we charge e-fees year-round, though. Uh, we just don't charge it on the upfront. So it's baked into our overhead recovery on the back end. I'm not going to talk about pricing and all that stuff, but like we charge an e-fee between um, some of our locations do as low as 20 or 30. We do $100 per line item of an estimate if we come to the property. And that covers the cost of all our office admin. So command center for them, as well as the estimator going out and actually visiting the property. It's an actual cost. So like we should be charging for it, um, but we don't do on the upfront very often unless we're trying to li- limit and reduce leads. I hope you guys picked up what Mike was saying in his speech as well. With, you know, he broke down his numbers and showed us what it cost him to, you know, to get a lead acquisition. And that's not a guaranteed customer. What was it like 120, 150 something? If you can do that online right there, you're ahead of your competition that has no idea. They can do estimates over the phone right there with Google Pro. We use a different software, but there's many out there. But just think right there, if your competition's forking out 100 to 150 bucks for every lead and you're sitting back on your computer just, you know, using your mental capacity and learning a little bit, I mean, yeah, you won't be able to do that for every single one, but say you can do it for eight out of 10 and you only have to drive out the two that you can't happen to see a good picture online or something i mean you're knocking them out of the park compared to your competition something i just wanted to add about leaves uh if you don't know i i can't stand leaves leaf cleanups and all that kind of stuff it was something that i stopped doing early on because i got completely destroyed doing it because i didn't know how to do it how to price it and all that and the right tools and all that but i've i've come i've learned a lot through the community and going to my local 
uh, competitors and, and peers and mentors and checking out their setups and, and learning a lot from them, put it, put it all out on social media too. So I've kind of conquered that, but what I've decided to do over the years is stop being lawn care for hire and just make sure that everyone that comes in is a, a yearly client and they sign up for multiple services at a minimum. Um, a couple of things I get to do uh, more with less. And another thing is when it comes to leaves, it allows me to adjust and pivot quickly on a client's yard if we miscalculated how long it was going to take or what equipment we needed versus a one-time leaf cleanup that you just you just end up screwing yourself on because you just misjudged something or there's dead squirrels in there that you didn't know or whatever the deal is. So uh, <laughs> if you know, you know. But so that, that that's just one, that's just a totally different perspective of how I've kind of taken that all on so that I don't have to worry about doing all that kind of stuff. So people don't, when people call me for aeration, for aeration season or mulch or this or that, I'm like, don't you have to sign up for yep, our yearly clients, get that all worked into the, uh, to the agreement. If you want to sign up, we don't do like that, the whole, uh, like I said, lawn care for hire anymore. So that's just my take and perspective. And it's really helped us really dial in the numbers and make sure we have the right staff and the right equipment and be a hundred percent serviceable for all of our clients. Um, yeah. So I just, <clears throat> Everyone, I just converted them to, it was a really long process to do, you know, with the CRM longer than I thought, but basically I just had a a nice email explaining to everyone why we were doing it. And again, only the people that I shouldn't have had as a client anyway, were the ones that were like, this only helps you, not us and all this nonsense. And I was like, well, actually you're right. It helps me help you take care of your property by having more year round services, being able to keep staffed up for throughout the whole year. And everyone can just be on the same page. So it was just a lot of communication and a lot of back and forth and some understanding, but the process itself was pretty, pretty simple. Just explaining it to everyone that, Hey, we're just going to 12 month billing. Let us know what services you want. These are what you did last year. So there's a lot of like upfront, you know, work that had to be done. But now as new people come on, it's, it's just, you know, those people, but having to go back and do it all from scratch was, it was definitely more time consuming than I thought, but now I don't have to worry about it going forward. It's just as new people come on. It's all about communication though. Fantastic. Is there anything we're leaving out here that needs addressed? Cool. Thank you guys. The Know Your Numbers training program is the shortcut to financial freedom that I wish I had. You see, success requires more than us just working in our business. We must learn how to work on our business. And in the Know Your Numbers training program, you'll learn how to stop burning cash so you can learn to make all your services truly profitable. You can bid with total confidence that each job you sell be more profit in your pocket as you build long-term wealth. Because we're going to teach you how to start paying yourself as the owner of the business the right way. You can grow a healthy business as we identify and track your cash flow for continuing success so you can stop losing sleep over financial details as you gain the skills to delegate the tough number crunching activities as a lawn care business owner. And never chase those unpaid invoices again. We'll teach you how to streamline your billing into a hands-free process. So we will cover all of this and so much more as John Pajak and I are the teachers in this e-training program. It's called Know Your Numbers. It's available at our resource center at thegreenindustrypodcast.com. Hey, it's Marty, producer of the Green Industry Podcast. This episode is over, but check the episode notes for links to products and services that you heard about during the episode. And thanks for listening.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. 